Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. I don't know if you're aware, maybe you're a new listener, but this is an audio archive that's made specifically for somatic experiencing students and practitioners, folks that are incorporating the psychobiological literature, somatic healing arts, and other elements out of traumatology. This is a reflective process where I've been chatting up, talking about, reflecting on different aspects and elements of being a somatic experiencing practitioner, thoughts and feelings about the process in general, the learning curve, and other things besides. This is for accompaniment, encouragement, a little bit of humor, hopefully some insight as well. Hi there, this is Twig. This is episode 91. 91 of a project that's going to episodes 100. I'll tell you, over the last three or four days, I was working on what this episode was going to be about and how I could make something of interest, of value. And I had several consultations, conversations around the process of being an SEP with a couple folks this week. And the same theme kept showing up. And I had the thought, oh yeah, that's that's a theme I wanted to do, or didn't I already do that theme? And so I finally started sitting down and looking, uh, actually earlier today, hadn't I already done an episode on this subject? And poof, I had it in my notes that I had, but then when I look and see the real postings of what I've offered up until now, I see that I haven't. And there's this little skipped step back there about 15 episodes ago. This hasn't been a sequential conversation, as regular listeners know. But 15 episodes ago, I thought I was going to do this subject. Ready? Here it is. How do you get something that's been stuck? How do you help it get moving again? How do you help the stuck thing move again? Now, in our work, you know, it's so much nicer to work with things that are pendulating. It's it's so much job satisfaction to be had. You know, once you kind of get some of the some of the craft inside of you here, and you figure out how to guide your client's attention. And you get enough contract and investment on their part that you two are participating well together, well enough that your skills can guide their needs. And the two of you can see this natural oscillation kind of activation, deactivation process start to unfold and get uh, some sense of change going on. It, it's It's so much more satisfying to do this work when the thing is already moving, when the relationship is already moving, when the pendulation is already moving, when you ask a person's attention, it's already going in that direction. You know, you you ask, what are you noticing now? And they were already interested in finding out what they were feeling or paying attention to. It's so much easier to steer that and help it continue to trend toward the right direction. Kind of have your questions and commentary, your interventions, 
lend interest to the clinically relevant side of their attention to help that pendulum swing. It's, it's a, a lovely thing, and it can be very, very, very satisfying because it can really help people feel so much better to be inside of that rhythm, and especially if it's guided toward activation and deactivation cycles and helping to establish that rhythm inside the nervous system rather than have it all turn on and stay on until it kind of crashes out or not be able to turn on enough that you feel like you've been energized instead to have feelings, emotions, sensations, excitements, activations, aggravations move through you and have them settle and, whoa, what a potential way to experience the world. What, how, what a different kind of thing, you know. You just feel so much saner and safer. It's great. And as practitioners, so much helpful. If so much helpful, so much helpful. If it's already got some swing or if you can, you can just kind of lean a little bit with your attention. You're just, you're just leaning a little bit. You're just asking a little bit more. Oh, okay, I, I hear that part that you don't like, and I hear that other part that's a little bit not as bad as that part you don't like. Okay, so there's the part you don't like, and let me let me name something that I heard about that so you know that I, I care and I'm paying attention to the part that you don't like too. And then if it's okay, let me let me ask you about that part that's not as bad as that. Now, that was that's kind of interesting to me. Like, what do you mean... Tell me more about that part. Give me some more attention over there. Like you can, you know, start to get the pendulum to swing a bit more by giving more of your attention to the side that you see as more clinically relevant. In that little example, the side that was getting a little less attention, the the less negative side, which in our way of thinking would then be the more positive side, right? Or at least in the pendulum swing the blue or counter vortex, call it, call it whatever you like there. So look here, I guess you have probably caught on to this. I certainly have. And, um, I know a lot of us, I know a lot of us have, it doesn't always work that way or it doesn't always start that way. It's not always obvious what wants to move. The conversation doesn't always have movement in it. A client's body doesn't always have movement in it. The experience doesn't always have movement in it. In fact, for a lot of our clients, our encounters with them can feel as though things are stuck. As if really they just don't move, they don't change. Clients will report this. They'll say, I feel like nothing ever changes, like everything's stuck, like it's the same feeling over and over again, it's the same sensation over and over again, it's the same image over and over again, it's the same memory over and over again, it's the same thought over and over again. They'll claim, they'll declare, they'll insist even that it's not worth trying to change things, that it's never going to change, that there's nothing that can be done, that it's hopeless. We'll see it in people's physicality. We'll see that their bodies don't move, that they describe 
always being tense or always being tired or always being unable to move, always being stiff, always being in pain, always being flat and just interested in the movement experience. And some of that we'll hear as overcoupling and a kind of tonic immobility, and some of that we'll hear as undercoupling and a kind of freeze collapsy, you know, kind of low tone, hypotonic freeze immobility. We'll hear the different qualities inside of it, and yet we'll see, we'll see the same nature. It's stuck, it doesn't move. Are we sure? Are we absolutely sure that I didn't already cover this material? It feels so much like I already covered this material. I have to pause and make sure that we haven't already talked about this. Maybe my notes are a little confused. Let me pause. Okay, then. I'm convinced. I guess we haven't looked at this. There are, as you can tell, places in our sessions where the feeling is not of flow or movement or even the initial movements that we can steer with our attention and help give weight to the pendulum to help it swing. In fact, there are times when nothing is moving at all or the access to the things that are moving or the perception of things not moving is so insistent or so small that it seems impossible to do anything, to make anything happen, to let anything happen, for anything to happen. Everything just stays stuck. And so, yeah, um, let's let's talk about that. Not that not that you are going to expect me to be exhaustive here on Twigs SE podcast, SE Reflections podcast. I, I'm not going to be exhaustive. Some of you know that already, but I'll, I'll go in the conversation with you. There are places that I'm exhaustive, and that other people are um, here. I'm here to accompany accompany you on the thought process of what what goes into things feeling so stuck that there's no sense of movement, even potentially antagonistic to the potential of movement. And yet our profession is based around helping people change, helping experiences that people have be different so that they are willing to engage novel, different kinds of things than what they've been experiencing. Our task is to help people experience difference and have the differences that they go off into their lives experiencing be different than the ones that kind of helped draw them or force them or press them into our care and 
concern and, well, our work, you know, into our office, paying us money, going through the torment of doing therapy and racing across town or missing other appointments or giving up on other things or just there's so many different combinations. People are in distress. They end up coming in and we're helping them to do something, experience something different than what would happen if they didn't come see us. I mean, that's the idea, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't come see us. If it was that they had some experience that they didn't like, some feeling that they didn't like to have all the time, some sense of need for assistance in some genuine way, you know, why, why would people make the effort? There's so much effort involved in coming to hang out with us for an hour. And it's so unsatisfying if it's not doing something to serve the kind of purpose of, oh, I'm coming here for something to be, in fact, different. You know, it's, it's a part of the equation. It's not changing away from us, and people are coming to us with the expectation that it's going to change. And yet there we are inside of our offices noticing how, how remarkable <laughs> my goodness how how remarkable how remarkably intelligent how remarkably intelligently ordered the process of the stress response is how for example if we look at the polyvagal theory we can see that there's we can name it we can say that there's the theory of disillusionment it's a jacksonian principle right that says that evolution is going to use the newest structure and its capacities first, but if that structure and its capacities become overwhelmed, that it will revert, resort to the next oldest structure and its capacities, its or like it's kind of what it does in our autonomic nervous system. That means that our response kind of process will include first the ventral vagal complex, the social engagement system, because it's the newest it's the mammalian subsystem of the autonomic nervous system. It's the youngest. It's the, it's the most active. If it can work, it's going to be used. It's what evolution's been like working toward recently. It's like, let's, let's put the good stuff first. But if it doesn't work, if it gets overwhelmed in some way, if it is jeopardized, if its success is, oh, that doesn't work, then the nervous system just reverts to the next oldest subsystem, which, in fact, what the ventral vagal complex was doing, we'll just name this out, why not? What it was doing was inhibiting the older subsystem. It came through evolution and said, oh, we'll get more, we'll get more success in the context of natural selection if we can heavily modulate a very well-refined modulation of this arousal in the sympathetic system. So we'll down-regulate and inhibit that sympathetic system in this very finely-tuned manner that the myelinated vagus, the ventral vagal complex, allows to happen. And so you get mammals and social primates as an example of this highly refined nervous system that can kind of like get us a little bit more excited so we can get up and do stuff or talk to one another and calm us down a little bit more so we can sit down and listen to one another. 
and keep all of that inside of a range of genuine homeostasis. Like you can, you can be active and you can be more settled and kind of have a wider range of things to do, be able to do a, a more, a broader behavioral repertoire, as it would be said. And that gets, that gets truncated, that gets, well, it kind of goes out the window. If what that new myelinated vagus is able to kind of respond to the level of danger or the level of challenge in the environment or the experience of danger, the perception of danger, once it becomes overwhelmed, then the, it, it stops inhibiting the sympathetic system, and then so there's some for the sympathetic system takes over, and that's that's an ordered process that evolution has kind of got in place. Other other processes in evolution follow this rule of disillusionment. Our nervous system is one of them. It's remarkably ordered. It's very sensible. It is impacting. It's impactful on our clients. It's impactful on us. It's, it's like gravity. It's one of the, the laws of living on this planet, in this universe, as a mammal. The nervous system follows this disillusionment process. Ventral vagal complex to sympathetic. Sympathetic gets overwhelmed, goes to dorsal vagal complex. Once there's a little less or sufficiently less danger in the neuroceptive signal from dorsal vagal, it'll start to move out the other way, usually back through sympathetic onto ventral vagal if the signals of sufficient safety are apparent enough that the ventral vagal complex can turn back on and downregulate the heart and kind of settle out the kind of all that stuff that goes along with the sympathetic charge or the, you know, dorsal vagal shutdown. That is all sequential. There are interesting and confusing and paradoxical reactions along that sequence, particularly inside of the accumulated stress dynamics, you know, where you get these chaotic reactions. There's so much of what Peter Levine really kind of mapped out, even back in his original PhD, back on accumulated stress, you know, and catastrophe theory and everything is is showing how the nervous system can get very confused about how it moves through this pattern. And yet that pattern, it's, it's, as some of you have seen me do, if you're out there in public, you see me in public, I like, I'll jump up in the air and, and I'll ask everybody to try to hold me up in the air with their thoughts, just like stay up. But of course I always come back to the ground and nobody actually expects me to be able to stay up in the air there's a there's an expectation that gravity is going to play out its course. I'm going to come back down. Well, in our nervous system, there's a there's a kind of pattern of of use and response and accompanying behavior and feeling states and all kinds of psychophysical, psychobiological, psychological associated cues that are going to go along with things more or less inside of a stereotypical pattern. And now that we get to employ that kind of information in our therapy, when it's moving and it's getting to get a little bit more intelligent and we're able to guide it back a little bit more into the pattern that it would want to follow if it was already self-regulating better, 
so that one of the things we might do is be attentive for signs when a person's nervous system or their physiology or their behavioral expression or their body, their somatic expression shows some kind of increased signal of, yeah, that's what like being a mammal would do, you know, rather than just stay tense, stay tense, stay tense, it would also go tense and then it would turn and start to relax a little bit or there would be an easier exhale at some point. And at some point when that comes along, even for people who have a rather discordant or disorganized nervous system process going on, at some point, something that's just a little bit more coherent, as Peter Levine might call that moment, just something that like lines up better and shows a little bit more of what a coordinated breath and heart rate might look like, or the body relaxing into the couch a little bit more rather than levitating off the couch. These like physical expressions of the body that you know, just a, a kind of a, a lessening of tension in the face signals that say, oh, you know, the kind of, there's a kind of a pendulation happening here, even, even going from more shutdown toward coming up, there would be moments, there would be experiences of more eye movement. And at those moments, we could be there to feed that back and say, right, or uh-huh, yeah, that's it, or some kind of signal of interest to say, that's what we're going to try to reinforce more of. We're going to put attention on that more coherent, more biobehaviorally appropriate moments. Sure. Super. I love it. Don't you love it? Sing it with me now. We love it. We love it. Uh-huh. We love it. Uh-huh. We love it. It's, we don't even have to be geniuses so much as we just have to be patient and attentive and curious and somewhat permissive of ourselves to get excited about the kind of the right thing. And of course, somewhat measured about how much excitement we give something so we don't blow them away. Wow, you just exhaled spontaneously, easily, without even telling yourself when to exhale. It was almost like your body was just doing the thing that it was supposed to do for you on its own. Wow. You know, we might have to cheerlead that really small, like, mm-hmm. Right. Well, anyway, so uh, what else? what else were we talking about? Well, of course, what else we were talking about on this episode, episode 91, was that sometimes you don't have that movement through which you can ride along long enough to where you'll see something moving slightly more in the right direction in the way that you hope things will go, that you can shape it and feed back to it and give it attention and say, yeah, that's the kind of thing we're going to pay more attention to over time and help to balance the swing of attention so as to get a little bit more momentum in that pendulation. Sometimes you just, shoot, nice idea. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely idea, and it really does matter, and it really is available. It really does make a difference. If you can have that momentum and 
help it ride through activation deactivation cycles successfully, we'll see that there's a stereotypical pattern to the stress response and that people's nervous systems are are looking, actively looking for reclaiming what that very, very basic biological pattern of activation and deactivation looks like. But, uh, of course, you know, a lot of our clients who... Um, who we finally end up working with once we get once we get some success. Uh, this is kind of a classic formula. Once we get some success, we often end up with people who have felt more challenged and probably as well have experienced searching for other help. Doctors and therapists and body workers and alternative treatments, all kinds of things to try to help. And it's very possible we start seeing people who have had almost no success at finding anything changing. And it's a completely different situation when a client comes to us and and yeah, they've been in therapy for 10 years, but they've been doing this and they've been doing that. And you can hear in their conversation that it has some swing in it. You can listen into that and get to know your client very quickly and realize, oh, there's pendulation to work with in there. And well, you can get to know other clients very quickly too by listening to just how much language they share about how this doesn't change, that doesn't change, nothing ever changes. How stuck things are. And that can be all the way down from the very physical, I've had this pain for this amount of time and it is always the same. And you can ask into it if you get permission. I'd say get permission. You say, can, can I ask a little bit more about that? You know, you say that pain's always there. Is it there the same in the morning, same at night, same when you're working, when you're not working? Like it's been there a long time like that. Does it ebb and flow, come and go, always the same? Like there's conversations to like try to, tease it apart and such and yet you'll hear people of their own just tell you what at first is actually the truth their experience of it is that it's always the same that things don't change that things are stuck and that poses special challenges for us (laughs) don't you find especially if you go into that knowing knowing the value of writing the stress response, knowing the value of turning the felt sense attention into the internal experience and paying attention to what you notice now and letting that be there and watching it transform and become something else and finding out that it gets into a something of a sequence that kind of moves its coupling dynamics or its somatic experiencing elements or its cybam elements or however you put these things together. It's like it moves through. Then you try that with somebody who says that their experience is stuck. Well, you know, can you can you just feel that? Well, just go ahead and stay with that. Oh, let's just be with that. Oh, it's stuck, huh? Oh, it's the same. Oh, it's always the same. Oh, nothing changes. Oh, wait a second. You're here because I'm supposed to provide something that isn't happening for you anywhere else, and that's why you've come here. And yet what you're telling me is that nothing changes. There's no pendulation. There's nothing 
to help organize the swing to. There's nothing to ride through the activation response, stress response with. It's all just staying put, staying in place of no interest, no curiosity, no momentum. Special challenges. So um, let me let me say that I, I got to get out of the idea that I'm, I'm going to give you a bunch of answers on what to do in that situation. <laughs> I, have to, I have to get out of that. Now, I know that I can say a few things that some of you are like, oh, I'm going to try that, and I'll do that, and we'll do that, and that'll be good. And yet, at the same time, I want to just kind of acknowledge the gravity of this. I, you know, I, I want you to know that this is not easy, that that you're not alone. If you have felt alone in the uneasiness of this, that you're in a profession that champions change and movement, and one of your bigger responsibilities is to help people in high, high distress states, many of them are going to express a sincere lack of movement and at some point even potentially be kind of challenged by or resistant to or truly antagonistic to the sense of change and movement. And we can name that as a psychobiological phenomena, as I think the traumatology literature kind of shows that out in Peter Levine's dissertation, actually, that I mentioned before, kind of bears that out, that the chaotic nature of signal changing in the nervous system once it gets to a certain kind of formulation, we could say like a chaotic nature, and it tries to kind of bind or compress or consolidate, hold in its response so that it doesn't feel challenged by the sense of, of oscillation and changing. So you see like this lack of pendulation happening as one kind of ultimate expression of it. Um, but if you've been through advanced level, you can think of that as a very, very tight energy well where this sense of allowance for emotion to move or the sense of allowance for like a body part to move or for thoughts to stray from a, a kind of constrained thinking pattern to, to like look at people's behavior and see a very kind of tightened down amount of ability to respond to novel stimulus. Don't go out, don't do new things, don't take on eye contact with new people, even with people you know if it's not prescribed. It can all get very, very tight and constrained. And part of that, psychobiologically speaking, is the nervous system just saying like, don't do anything else. Don't do anything more. It's already too much. Just pull it all back in here. Hide, tighten up, don't move. And your job is to help people move. Your job is to help people change your your hope, your, you know, their desire, their demand even is to help this change yesterday sometimes. It's like, why hasn't it already changed? Why haven't you already changed me? Even before they come in for the first session, sometimes they can already be mad at you for not having succeeded. And at a nervous system level, inside that highly confused, dysregulated nervous system state. I think there's a lot of evidence out there in at least 
at least in the models, particularly with Peter Levine's use of the chaos model. And if you look at you look at the Zeman machine, like from his dissertation there again. So um, if you if you look at all that, you go like, oh wow, of course you can't get this system to change very much. If you tried to get this system to change very much, it would be threatened by the sense of change. So you'd have to make the sense of change small enough that it could maybe be noticed. In fact, you'd ideally be looking for something that would be noticed since part of what we've already described is that part of what we do is help people notice things. So we understand the value of helping the nervous system perception notice itself and so we like we want to notice something but not have what we notice particularly of the sense of change be something that is so much change that the nervous system which has become kind of organized in its containment of its you know disorganization it's like tightened down state saying don't do new stuff don't do new stuff don't do new stuff stay put stay put stay stuck if you try to get it to change too much, it'll it'll tighten back up in response to that as though it's a new threat. I think I think we see that a lot of times you ask for a bigger allowance for people to experience of themselves when you have this kind of consistently stuck situation and somebody starts to feel some movement or some change happen and you encourage an like a full-on allowance of that, and you'll often get a call back the next day or the next week that says, oh, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. That just felt like really too much, or now I feel like really stuck, or now I feel super overwhelmed afterwards or super tight or constricted. And that's, that's one reflection of this notion of titration that is at the foundation of what we're trying to do. We're trying to find trying to find the right dose, the right amount, the right titration, the right combination that the system can absorb, successfully absorb that difference, that inclusion of a new thing, that change. And in this case, I'm particularly vulnerable to it. We have to find the right amount that the perturbation that it creates, that the change differential, the, the kind of like little moment of unsettling that it causes isn't so great that it threatens the sense of stability, the fragile sense of stability that's been found inside of all the chaos that's already there. so that the sense of change can go through without causing a new reaction to the experience of change. Heady? Is that heady? Well, I hope, I, hope that it, I hope that it helps you hear that it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. There you are trying to help people change. There you are being demanded by some of them to help them change. There you are knowing that Change is where the momentum is that gives you the pendulation, that gives you the rise and the fall, that gives you the pattern that then allows people to feel more 
competent and confident in going through the stress response in the future so that next time they have a bad memory and that causes some emotion to come up, they can ride through that wave of emotion rather than get caught up in it and kind of hyper-reactive to it, causing an anxiety attack. But instead, they're able to like feel the rise of feeling and feel it hit that apogee, that, that threshold that then says, okay, now I can start to settle. And they'll be able to be attentive to the fact that it's settling because they'll have experienced settling with you and you'll have helped mark it out as that, that right there, pay attention to that, although you might have to do that very subtly sometimes. Huh. Right. Oh. Anyway, so uh, what else were we talking about? So as to help their nervous system, their physiology, their organization of their conditioned organism to get, you know, a little bit more of the goods that evolution meant for it to have, them to have, and with it, well, being comes along the way, you know that whole trajectory, and you're sitting there like, oh my goodness, I have to go really slow. But it's already going so slow that there's no movement, and it doesn't feel necessarily congruent to my client's need and felt sense demand for change for me to sit here and say how slow we have to go or how small we have to make this. It's hard. Are you with me? Yeah, you're with me. This one's hot. This one gets hot. Sometimes it gets really super confusing and it's just like, you ask for things and they say it's just the same. It's, it's the same as last time. It's the same. It's always the same. Nothing's changed. And you're sitting there like, I don't have anything to work with. And you're asking for resources. You're asking for positive experiences. You're asking for anything that went better, a little bit different. And they're just saying stuck, 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 stuck. But then you go in and you make anything move. You shake something up. You, you call attention to something that is big enough to notice the difference of. And you find out that it destabilizes things to where there's a reaction that tightens everything back up again and makes nothing else want to move again. Hard. It one's hard. I, I'm, I'm with you. And, and that's, that's most of what I would try to get across to you, that you're not alone. <laughs> you, you think about it, you, you might feel that you, you're the, the, the one failing SE practitioner inside of this scenario, it's not true. There's a lot of your friends and colleagues and people who are, are in some way very much like you. They care and they're concerned and they're studying and, and thinking and showing up and going home and doing family life and all these kinds of things. And they're, they're, they're wanting to do their best, just like you. And they're also... It's just kind of like, oh my goodness, what do you, how do I do this? How do I get this person's attention to find that, that perfect little window that what we pay attention to will be interesting? It'll be interesting enough that they'll share their attention to it. They'll give their attention to it. They'll pay attention to that thing with me. It won't be so much that it'll be overwhelming, it'll have some kind of variation to it, some quality of difference or change or, 
or oscillation, pendulation that we can lean the attention into, and yet it won't be so much that it'll be frightening or upsetting or even, if I can say, too attractive because, of course, it could be positive, like, oh, my gosh, I haven't felt this good in so long. Thank you for helping me feel again. And then you're sitting there like, oh, no, please, please just slow down, shut back down again, because letting that out too much at a time, opening up the system too fast at a time when it's been closed for so long could very likely lead to the pendulum swinging again, which would then lead to another crash. But this time, the crash could be associated to the experience of the therapy, oh my gosh, it was so good, but then it went so bad, and I don't know, maybe this isn't the right thing for me, because if I'm going to feel this bad, maybe I'm just, I'm not going to get anywhere, it's just going to go back to where it was, I just, I had that, and then it went away, like clearly I'm just so screwed up, I can't get any better, there could be all kinds of different readings of what that loosening up swing crash leads to if it's an association to the therapy. So there are all kinds of ways that you as a practitioner would be like, oh my gosh, let's open this up just the right amount, just the right window where it's interesting. There's something to track, some way to signify this is not the same as that so that we can get out of the language of stuck, 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 stuck. And yet not so much of it that it propels the system that has already had a chronic relationship to stuckness to suddenly start swinging erratically or swing and therefore have a reaction to close back up again. Whoa, how do you go about doing that? Well, let's take a little pause and hear from our sponsors and we'll come back and name out a few tips and tricks, ideas, little nudges that you can make to help things that are stuck start to get moving again. We'll be right back. Do you find that you're one of those people who would define themselves as feeling stuck, underwater, in slow motion, unable to motivate yourself? Well, in today's day and age, there is no need to resort to drugs, internet shopping, Starbucks, or presidential campaign Facebook shares in order to rile yourself up enough to get motivated and get something done. You see, these days, we understand that being stuck might be a psychobiological phenomenon, heavily influenced by the dorsal vagal complex of the autonomic nervous system, which has a primary function of decreasing heart and breath rate to conserve energy, thus decreasing mobility and motivation. Now, the genuine feeling of wanting to race everything and get it all moving again so that you can revive your vitality and get things going, that's a sympathetic kind of arousal state, itself associated with a faster heart and breath rate and a feeling of energy in the body, which understandably looks attractive to the stuck, can't-get-anything-done zone of things. But modern science and our culture have helped us to see that that's not a solution. It's just a temporary flip-flopping back and forth between two different problems. 
Fortunately, though, nature, science, and technology have combined to show us what we really need. As mammals, it turns out, the ideal state is the ventral vagal complex social engagement nervous system, where our voices, our facial expressions, our eye contact, and our heart rate can all sync together to show a whole lot more vitality and expression and give us the feeling of being able to both get things done and... Stay calm while we do it. To eat, talk, drink, and swallow all with coordinated breathing. Yes, the ventral vagal complex, the mammalian nervous system is the key to helping us get unstuck. And that's why we've introduced the The myelinator. A lot of us stuck people, we don't feel that we can engage that social engagement nervous system so easily. It feels like things are off when we do so. Part of that's just related to myelin. Myelin is the fatty sheath on the outside of the ventral vagal complex nerve fibers, which allow for highly attenuated modulation of the pacemaker of the heart, which helps us to feel more at ease at the same time as having access to arousal. Increasing your myelination is like going to the source. If you've been feeling the lack of ventral vagal modulation, you should get the The myelinator. www.liberationispossible.org backslash myelinator. That's M-Y-E-L-I-N-A-T-O-R, myelinator. The first one's free. After that, you'll be hooked. Totally rebranded, trademarked, copyrighted, age-old technology. The myelinator. Patent pending. Well, we're back now. Having earlier gotten out of having to be exhaustive on all of these and having shared my empathy and solidarity with the fact that this is hard. I, I think there's a couple thoughts, lists, tips, tips, I don't know, um, ideas that I can share here. One is that it can be very helpful to establish a contract not to reinvestigate the stuckness, the lack of change or the sense of lack of change, the investigation for have I changed, is this changing, is this different, is anything different? It can be good to create a contract together about, okay, let's not talk about that for a month, for three months, for six months. It can be very simple, can be elaborate. You can have to really think about how you're going to go about expressing this contract because it it can really feel so important to your client that they have the opportunity to talk about whether or not anything's changed and whether or not this is ever going to work and and why should I be coming anyway? Like you, you, you need enough investment to be, you know, making things happen. And that break, that anchor, that stall associated with those questions there, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it, it's kind of even hard to answer. You can't even answer it until you've been able to do some work. And so if you can create a contract, sometimes elaborate, sometimes very simple, sometimes very direct, sometimes very eloquent, you know, something along the lines of, I hear your concern. I, I appreciate that too. That's what I'm after. I, I, wanna, I want things to be different for you. And I hear that what you're saying is that they've been stuck this way, same for a long period of time, bothering you, this and that. Repeat back the truth that you've been listening and you understand the problem, the the reason they're here, the things that they want different. You don't have to name back all of them, but enough of them to say like, I'm listening. So it's like, I I hear those and I want those to change for you too. That's, that's why I'm here. 
is to help that happen too. And and while I appreciate the concern that this is a heavy investment, and now you might have to name out any any number of different amounts of the challenges here, the expense, the effort to come, the doubt that it'll work, the other therapy that said haven't worked, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you got to get some sufficiency out of there that says, I understand that this is an investment in you. We need our clients' investment, and we need them to kind of sign up to a contract that, that says, we're, we're investing here. We're both investing. Let's notice the cost of making this hour together happen. And subsequently, let's not spend it unnecessarily on repeating the same stuck thing that's not enhancing any potential for change. That's somewhere you're going We hit this contract. So you lay out the problem state, the challenges to making this therapeutic process happen, that even the doubt inside of it, and then an invitation, a request. Is it possible for us to focus on doing some of this process while temporarily postponing the question, is this working? Is this changing? Does this matter? I know it matters to you that things change. I know it feels as though things are stuck and that there's limited chance that anything is going to change. I wonder if it's possible, if you'd be willing to consider the possibility if you'd be willing to consider the possibility that it might be okay to look into the idea of letting us do this without how big the titration you need to make this request, as you've been listening to the podcast, some of you have really heard, or the language guide that I have out there, it's like you might really need to make this request something that gets down to the place that the person can say yes, but the request of this contract is to say, let's put down this question for a month. Let's put down this question for three months. Let's put down this question for six months. We'll pick it back up together. And within this window of time, we'll work on doing these things and essentially actually set up the conditions where we can notice change happen rather than reiterate the conversation about being stuck happening. Now, not everybody goes along with that contract and people who do go along with that contract often try to bring up the stuck conversation again. Now, for those who don't go along with the contract, you might have to consider if you got the titration small enough that they can kind of join up with you or whether or not you two can work together. There, there does have to be some recognition for the fact that without sufficient investment in the process, without sufficient participation, without some quality of joining available, not just on your exquisite part and all the different nuance and change and sophisticated intervention that you can offer, but some amount of your client kind of joining with what you can offer for them. So if, if your conversation around the stuck thing isn't so fluid at helping them get some kind of change, even while you're directly like don't avoid the text kind of sense of one of the episodes of this podcast talking about like even if you go directly toward that problem state, there might be ways to successfully negotiate that. But if you don't have the sophistication up for doing that yet, so you have to rely on a contract, if your client can't join you in that contract, it could very well be that 
this is somebody for referral that you don't have the traction necessary to help them experience some kind of change. We just need to hold that out there. However, you're, you're in the profession. You're there to, to help this work and help make these changes for people happen. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, there's going to be a kind of symbiotic relationship forming between you and the people that you serve. Well, along that line, you might end up with a contract, but yet tendency or habit or doubt kind of brings back in the question, is this stuck? Is this changing? And the reason for establishing the contract is to get out of having to answer that question. So when it comes up, you want to lean on the contract. You don't want to go into answering the question. You want, instead want to go into reiterating the contract so that we can put down that particular question. Now, if it's kind of a reflection of upcoming activation and this is an, an opportunity for you to like turn and track into activation, that's one little tiny possibility there. But for the most part, you know, you just want to say, right, I hear that question and I'm interested in that too and I'm going to remain interested in it with you. And I'm wondering if we can lean on that contract together, that one that said that we're not going to really look at that question again until June and in June, we're going to look at that one together. But then if it's okay, I'm going to just ask us, we were looking at whatever else we were talking about today, and we're, let's go back to that. Or let's go forward to whatever happens next. But let's not make a contract, have it tested, let it go and start going inside the morass again, and have the contract basically be a waste of both breath and rapport. Because you lose prestige when you offer up a contract and then don't hold it later on. So then, your prestige in these moments with these clients is going to be important. Then, beyond having a contract, beyond recognizing that there are some people that we can't contract with enough here, let's go into um, something. Before, we were talking about how nice it is to get involved in this work and realize that you can feedback things that are going in the right direction. You can do exactly that. You can feed back when you see increased coherence and therefore you can reinforce that signal growing. That's kind of helping the pendulum to swing and shaping the system. And thought comes to mind of Peter doing a table session and his hands are on the outside of somebody's shoulders and he's just waiting there patiently listening with his hands as they say in that kind of zone and he's listening and he he gets this little something a glint across his face and he just goes mm-hmm yeah that's it and then the audience and we're all just watching this paint dry moment you know like what's it and then Peter kind of turns to the to the crowd uh, I was sitting in amongst everybody and, and he turns to the crowd and he says coherence 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 and it's just like right coherence like we we're we're there to hear it and see it and feedback on it and um some some of us find that that's elusive and all of us i think can improve upon doing it so then there is feeding that back except that when we're talking about people who feel stuck it's hard to see that they it's hard to even see them breathing sometimes you know and people be hiding their thoughts. You, you can't see them talking. There's nothing to hold on to. And in those situations, it's often necessary to kind of prime the pump or to help stimulate things a little bit, help 
get things moving a little bit, give us something to pay attention to. And now this is dicey because when you're going to move things, you might do this thing where you move things that have been stuck and it gets that reactive, oh, gets stuck again response to the feeling experience of change and movement. So in this way, there's a kind of like balancing act that you're wanting to do that says, I'm going to try to move something here, but I'm going to try to do it in such a way that it's interesting to do it, interesting enough to participate with it, and not nearly likely to stimulate things off where it becomes that I'm responsible for the experience of things getting stuck again. You don't want to get your clients feeling, even at a very unconscious level but or a thoughtful conscious level, that you're the reason for their discomfort or you're the reason for their experience of the thing that they already wish was going to be different. In that way, you're trying to find these kind of stimulations or stimulants or these kind of perturbations, as they were called a long time back, I'm told. Like you're looking for some way to to get a little bit of movement in the system so that people can perceive the sense of difference, perceive the sense of change, and then have that difference, that sense of change to start to settle again without it sending off the entire sequence that says, now everything is up in a way that now it's all going to pull back or, you know, nothing, it's, it just goes into the d- discomfort of itself and it see, nothing ever changes because if I feel myself, all I feel is too much and it's uncomfortable. In which case, we're looking for that right titration. And, you know, along your way inside the SE world, you're going to come across all kinds of experiments and exercises that are essentially made to help do exactly this, to prime or to stimulate something that hasn't been moving very well. So you have push hands exercises and squeeze forearm exercises and the classic VU sound exercise to give a little stimulus. The VU sound is like a perfect example where you, I'm not going to go into the pattern right here, but you go into asking a person to make this silly little sound with you and you you make this vibratory sound, you listen and feel for the vibration. You ask, okay, I'm just going to ask you to feel that now for a moment and watch for what else happens, what changes. You can train up the sense of watching things change by using the VU sound as the stimulus or the marker that says, this is the way it is right now. So we make the sound, the sound ends, and now we watch what changes after we have made the sound. And you, as the practitioner, and the VU sounds very nice because it gives you the opportunity to to scale or titrate the request. You can ask for a quarter of the VU sound, a quarter of the exhale. You can ask for a half of it, a whole exhale, two, three. You can start very small, find out that nothing happens, but nothing was risked. Nothing was challenged in a way that made it so that they won't do it again. So in that case, you might increase the request so that you go from a quarter vu to a half vu and to a, like a full vu until they're starting to notice, yeah, you're right, I can feel this vibration. Yeah, I make the sound and I can, I can feel like the echo of the vibration. And that gives you as the practitioner something to ask. You notice that and then what changes, what happens? 
Now, here's a point. A lot of people in this group of, you know, the way we can be, we've been there, you and me. I'm sure a lot of us have been there. I, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, a lot of folks in this group, they, they could feel those changes. They could feel even the sense of that vibration, and it could be super elusive or it could be super reclusive or it could be super antagonistic to be asked about it. And while there's nuance to how you might approach all of those, far beyond the scope of what this podcast should try to do, I'll say that you're still looking for the way that you can get a yes, which often requires you titrating or mitigating back your request. So if, if we're able to make, get participation in making the sound, but we're not able to get participation in feeling the difference afterwards and feeling the nuance of the changes and reporting back all the changes, if you can get somebody to make the sound with you, and then you shut up, excuse me, but you just don't ask anything more, but they'll make the sound and then afterwards settle, and at that point they'd be willing to make the sound again. Well, that's, that's movement. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're doing this because everything's stuck all the time and, and maybe the conversation is kind of stuck and the participation is kind of stuck, and, and if you've been able to do something like that and then have it settle where it, it doesn't make it so that next time you try to do it again, it'll be stuck, but in fact, the last little movement allowed for success makes it like, you know, it, it, we make the sound, sound's done, there isn't the investigation, what do you feel now? But instead, I made the sound, the sound went away. Who cares? I don't know. It's not a big deal. But would you be willing to do it again? Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. That's at least movement. Whereas if we investigate afterwards, there could be, and I'm just saying this is within all the too many worlds of possibility here, but there could be, a shutdown because of the invasion of the question. And that's a place for us to be creative, to always be looking for, where can I get the success out of this so that I can keep this moving, rather than how can I get as much out of this moment as I'm hoping and wanting to get as much change, as much participation as I can, which might cause it to shut down again. Which is to say, in your request on the titration, the activity, the amount of the story, the amount of participation with the contract, whatever, the, the request to pay attention to something with people who have experienced everything always being stuck in the same is a kind of scaled thing, including the scale of how much you ask about their experience. And even if you ask one question, doesn't mean you have to continue to ask two, three, four more. You might Oh, can you notice that? Oh, you can feel the vibration. Oh, cool. You can feel the vibration. Well, then anyway, so uh, maybe we just do that silly thing and we just look around again. And now if they're participating with you on that, it might be very well worth your while to keep the sense of movement happening where you just do the next round of the activity a few minutes later rather than try to get more out of this round. You see what I'm saying there? I think you got me. You got me there? Your request on people's activity and their attention are all scaled to the point that they'll participate with you and with folks that are 
in that zone of saying everything's stuck, the zone of participation might be very, very narrow. And your your response to that is a kind of tiger, alien, cow kind of thing. You know, talking from the last episode, episode 90, borrowing from comedy improv theater, like you might have moments in here where you get tiny little movements from people. They let a breath come out. They feel just a little looser. They talk a little bit more fluidly or, you know, like with you for a few more moments. They listen to you for a few more moments. Like some change happens. And you might very well notice that like, that's a good thing. You really want to, wow, that's huge. That's a big, you want to name that out. Well, this might be a kind of slow motion ninja riot moment where you have to hold in your excitement for something positive happening. On the other hand, you might have to at other times hold in your agitation for something negative happening, something that you don't want to happen. Both of those were more likely to happen as you need to contain your response to people who their experience is already highly, highly contained. And so your movement may very well, like your behavior, very well might be reflective, not a mirror, but reflective of their amount of stuckness. Your range of expression might be very mitigated and constrained to be something that they're more likely to recognize as not too different from where they are now and therefore more likely for them to be willing and able to participate with you, in which case you might be really toning down your reflections of anything that describes too much change at any one time, including something feeling positive or moving in the right direction. And Tiger, Alien, Cow being that, as in that game I described in the last episode, when your clients express something, you want to learn from it and change your behavior to support that expression, getting to have a little bit more success and satisfaction in itself. And part of that is that you need to be adaptable. Right, So you notice, you ask a question, it's stuck, it's the same. You probably need to prime something to move, find something that's curious enough to move a little bit, rather than ask another question that just gets the same response that says it's stuck. Which I know, some of you have heard, yeah, but what kind of questions do you ask? And so there's a thing, right? Like sometimes you make a contract that says, we're not going to think about the stuckness. Sometimes... Well, sometimes you have to go into the stuckness thing, but I'm not going to go there. Sometimes you invite, get permission for, you cajole, you get some kind of, okay, we'll do this other activity, like this voo sound, like this push hand, like this push the pillow, like all these different exercises or experiments that are out there to kind of stimulate something and give you something to feel and then notice that something's settling. And that might be a place for you to start that process of doing something small, feeling the difference of it, having it settle, not having it be so threatening that you can start to get the system to increase its capacity for noticing change. Those are some of them. Another one is that, of course, some people are, they're just, they're telling you the story and they're going to tell you the story. And that could feel stuck in like a broken record and where you place your attention inside of that story matters. So landing, leaning there again on the formula of being able to hear people's pain, hear their suffering, and, and reflect it, but be interested in leaning that pendulum 
on anything that's slightly more efficacious. Now, inside of this storyline where everything is stuck, a whole lot of the metaphors and images and messages that come through any kind of storyline tend to be things about freeze, things about not changing, things about like the same repetitive image over and over, the same scene over and over, not being able to do anything over and over, et cetera, et cetera. And that is a place where we often prime with the image channel from Saibam, where we ask people to try to see things happen, to try to imagine movement in those situations. And along the resiliency spectrum, where there's less movement or more movement, the practitioner might have to encourage more movement to happen, including, I should say, all the way down where you actually just like encourage people to see something that you can see moving. Just, you know, like, um, can you picture a boat? Can you see the boat moving in the waves? Or can you see the, uh, can you see a branch outside? Can you see the branch moving in the wind? Like there will be times when we will have to go all the way down to just priming any image or sense of attending to movement happening. That is true, all the way, way down there. But most of the time, you can just kind of like ask questions, curious questions into the qualities of images that people, you know, you ask for a broader, well, can you see what that looks like? Can you see that scene? Oh, you can. Which parts of the scene do you see? And as they start to tell you the parts of the scene that they see, you start to ask questions into the various different elements that indicate the potential for more movement. And then all the way down into that scale of seeing another animal do that, seeing another person do that, seeing you do that from outside of yourself, seeing you do that from inside of yourself, seeing that out of your own eyes, like that whole scale of embodiment from more dissociated to more embodied. Sometimes we have to ask questions along that different scale to help people see things move, just in order to prime the sense of change, in order to kind of start to get this sense of difference and attention to the differences going on out there. Sometimes easier to do in the image channel when people chronically report things being stuck. In the sensation channel, when people chronically report musculature being stuck, a lot of times you can slightly stimulate that musculature, the tightness of it, the place that it's not moving, slightly stimulate it and then let it go as though it was, you were trying to like make it do more of what it's already doing and then let go that extra effort so that then the body has to kind of like negotiate the attention for that slight change. So it's like, my neck doesn't move, it's always tight, it doesn't move, it's always stuck, it just stays in the same place. Sometimes you can ask, can you just kind of move it side to side or up and down or forward and back a tiny, tiny little bit, just in order to, how much of this you say or not is up to the situation, but you get the amount of movement and the request and you do the movement and then you sit back and don't do any more so that you can encourage the feeling of the difference between, say, either before making the movement and after or during making the movement and after some marker for noticing what's the same and what's different, you can hear in there almost the exact same thing as doing the vu sound. Here's an action to do. Of course, they play on different parts of the body, the body being anatomically organized with 
different subsystems of the autonomic nervous system being influenced by different parts, so that all kind of mattering. But at the same time, it's the same sense of idea. I'm going to stimulate this thing that's not moving at all just a little bit and then pull back that stimulation so as to track the change, the difference. From here, maybe I'd like to share just a, a tip. When you are talking with somebody who reports a sensation that feels like it's the same, it's the same as last time or a movement pattern, oh, it's the same as every other time, it's, it's kind of like stuck, it's repeating itself, there's no change to it, and people's attention to that change is already gone. I think some of you have heard me say this on the podcast before. It's like, it's a good time to break out some language that attends to the present moment and that respects a person's kind of attraction to the similarity and the kind of repetitive nature of it. So it's kind of like a joining, bring it back to now, joining, bringing it back to now kind of thing. So it's like, right, so you notice that that tension is the same as all the other times, Oh, you notice that pulling is the same as last time, right? So you notice that this time, and as you notice it this time and how it feels similar to other times, when you feel it this time, like you sitting there and me sitting here and we're just kind of like checking that out, when you feel it this time, let me ask you if you could just feel it this time as though it's for the first time or something like, right, let me ask you if you could feel it this time and feel like right at the edges of where you normally feel it. So like paying attention to the the edge or the barrier, the border of where you normally pay attention to it. So that rather than focusing on maybe the center of what normally has your attention, kind of like broadening your attention a little bit so that you can notice the outside edge of that. Some kind of priming instruction for the intention to help notice something different, something new some quality of pendulation. And that's a languaging thing in general that rather than having everything be black and white or this or that, although the stuck position tends to think in that, as the practitioner, if your language can both be scaled to something that's a little bit more acceptable to your client, not not so hopeful sometimes, but then also it can be turned into the language of process where this is connected to that, connected to that. So we're just watching as one thing leads to the next. So it's like, oh, so you've noticed it before and now you're noticing it again now and you've noticed before that it was like that and this time you're noticing it like that again. And now as you're noticing it like that again, as though it's the same as every other time, I'm going to ask you as you notice it this time, and now we're going to move it forward, feel it this time as though it's for the first time. And so there's this kind of language of process where you're trying to connect things to one another, but give the sense of we're watching things over time and specifically with the interest of watching things change as compared to checking on everything, noticing that it's stuck and it's the same, losing our interest and our participation. So there's this language of process over time that is trying to cultivate and maintain curiosity as we go. And of course, it's hard, hard to join with this sometimes because you want movement and you want to be able to pendulate and ride all those waves. All that would be so great, but sometimes it's stuck. And then you got to stimulate things, but you got to stimulate things just enough, but you got to have enough courage to do that and not, not risk 
doing too much of it, but also not risk just staying still because you don't want to risk it at all. And there's going to be some times when it's going to be too much and you're going to learn from those. There's going to be some times when it's not interesting enough so you can increase the titrations afterwards and still get into that zone where people find it interesting enough to pay attention. And it's still going to be hard. And yet the language you use, the language of process, mitigated language that tries to kind of find the amount of positivity or the amount of reflection of the internal experience that the client can participate with successfully, even if it's just a half sideways glance where you kind of, uh-huh, it's almost like, uh, oh, it's almost like some feeling comes through. Well, anyway, so what else has been going on? And the reflection inside to the thing that is normally stuck is so small that it's still able to be made through and doesn't get the consequence of too much attention tightening everything back up again. There is more on this subject besides, but I think I think we can name it as done. Yes, for now, we'll say helping the stuck thing move again. There's more to it. That's a whole bunch. You're not alone out there. And I'm wishing you the very, very best. Okay, this is Twig. You take care. <laughs> bye bye now. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Sing it with me now. We love it. We love it. Uh huh. We love it. Uh. We love it. It's. We don't even have to be geniuses so much as we just have to be patient, and attentive, and curious.